Welcome to Wall Street Weekly, a show where your hosts, George and Patrick, cut through the financial jargon to keep you educated and informed about the markets that affect our lives. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the highly informing, overperforming, most innovative, well, that might be a stretch, radio show on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. We are talking about one of the greatest investors today. So me and Patrick decided that to get on his level, we needed to do, do something that all the great podcasters do, and that's record a show standing up. Okay, first, I've never actually heard or seen of any famous podcasters actually standing up. I guess it happens, but yeah, for context, George and I just tried to record a first draft of the episode, and it went very poorly. We were just totally out of it. We both got to bed pretty late last night, so... We were a little energy drained, but now that we're standing, we're uh, feeling feeling more energetic. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling great right now, Patrick. Yeah, I just did like 15 push-ups. So. <laughs> I think maybe part of the drain, too, is fall break is coming up. And like last year, what we did over spring break, we want to kind of bring you guys, your, our audience, a timeless episode just because it's going to be airing for a couple weeks. And with how the markets are going, you never know what can change over the course of a couple weeks. Well, our number one goal is to keep our audience informed. Uh, We hope that some of this advice from Charlie Munger, um, you'll be able to put towards your investing in the future or just in life in general. I don't know. I think it's really good advice. But as always, this is not financial advice. And as always, contact a trusted advisor before making any decisions. Patrick, when I first pitched this show idea to you and Charlie Munger and his 25 psychological misjudgments of humans. What, what was kind of your first reaction to that? A, I had never heard of these points by Charlie Munger. And B, I was actually just now looking up, a, I think it was a Warren Buffett quote. I can't, I can't find it right now. But I think Warren Buffett was the one who said that investing is, I think, 80% a psychological game and 20% head knowledge. And I might even have the numbers on that wrong, too. But I, th- I feel like that's a famous quote that somebody said. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, you know, completely accurate. Most investors, they're not going to tell you, oh, the reason I did poor investing is I didn't have the research I needed or I didn't have the information. A lot of people, they made the right decisions or they made a wrong decision and they compounded it. They made it worse just because they were these psychological tendencies were competing with their better judgment, I guess. Um, you kind of have two sides. And a lot of these, going through these is kind of interesting for me because I'm like, wow, I'm making a lot of these even as we speak in real time. Um, and I don't think it's anything people can get away from totally. But yeah, so I don't know what you think, but why not just get right into it right now? So we'll start with the first one. And as as I should mention, we're doing selections of these. So this isn't going to be the comprehensive list just some of the ones that we found to be most compelling. So number one, and I've been told this a lot, and the more I look out for it, the more it becomes evident, especially as an econ major, but the reward and punishment super response tendency, which is just a fancy way of saying incentives have consequences. Charlie Munger says, never ever think about something else when you should be thinking about the power of incentives. Any stories, any things that come to mind for you, Patrick, when you first hear that? Well, the definition that quote um, given is a little bit vague, and I'm not exactly the most experienced investor, so I can't say I've had particular experience with this quote, but it does make a lot of innate sense. 
if you're incentivized to believe something, you will believe it. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because you can see this both as an investor and what you want to look at for the companies you're investing in. So you said more of the investor side that if you want to believe something is going good, if the incentives, maybe it's tax laws because in some cases, you know, taxes prevent you or you think they prevent you from selling a stock that you should sell or buying something that you should buy. The incentive there uh, changes your, your decision making. I think it's also interesting when you look at management for companies, like when you're researching management, if they have a lot of ownership in that company, they're really going to want to see their company perform well over the long term. Like if their retirement is determined on the company doing well for the next 10 years, that's probably better than having a CEO who owns 0% of a company's stock. Another thing that's really interesting is I heard a company that if they sold out their company right now, let's say the price per share is like $8 per share. They said that if they sold the company today, they could probably get 14 or 15 bucks for, per share. And so intuitively, you're probably thinking, yeah, why aren't they doing that? Well, the problem is, is the CEO, if he sells the company, guess who doesn't have a job? The CEO. So what's their incentive there? And I guess I should clarify too, like the board of directors, I think actually makes that decisions to buy or sell. But if they know the CEO, if the board of directors are getting paid, that sort of thing, um, you know, their incentives aren't necessarily aligned. Number two, Patrick, let's move on to the liking slash loving tendency. The liking slash loving tendency, Munger describes this saying, man will generally strive lifelong for the affection and approval of many people not related to him. Yeah, I think the most telling thing that Munger quote is quoted here saying is that it acts as a conditioning advice that makes the liker or lover tend to ignore the faults of and cl comply with the wishes, the object of his affection, and to favor people, products, and actions merely associated with the object of his affection. And I think you can see this. Uh, this probably gets wrapped into kind of an authority thing where if you really like a certain person, let's say that's Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, and they recommend a company. And just because you really like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, you're going to say, I'm going to buy that company no matter what. Or even if it's just a neighbor that you really like, you really love, he's a funny dude, you're like, and he recommends a stock to you, you might be blinded, whether that's a good advice, bad advice, whatever. Right. Yeah, there's a people aspect to it, and there is also a material aspect to it. And what would you say the material aspect is? More of the investing side. If you can get attached to a company, to a stock, even to specific numbers that um, a company puts in their um, annual reports, their financial filings. If you are a big you know, price-to-earnings ratio guy, that's like the main thing subconsciously that you look at when you're buying a stock, then... You know, you might see that one really good number, that P, P and E ratio, and then they can have quadrillions in debt and you can just pass it off. Yeah, I guess that's, that is interesting. I think it is harder to invest in things that you really like. Um, one example I have of this is it's dangerous, I think, to invest in entertainment companies because we talk about how stock price isn't always directly connected with what the consumer sees. So you might see an entertainment company that's releasing really good movies on its streaming service, and there's just something naturally warm and fuzzy about when you watch a movie 
and Patrick knows because I've done this before, and the company that you own, the slide or the display beforehand for the ad goes up, and it's like, hey, I'm a part owner of that. There's something that feels really good, especially when the movie's good, but then that can make you overlook that, wow, this company is actually not good, doesn't fit my investing philosophy, so I, w- I wouldn't necessarily recommend not to invest in things just because you like that they have a good product. And I think you should want to invest in things that have a good product, but don't let that blind you to the financial ramifications. It's kind of like how a lot of people, high school students, before they actually look into colleges, their top choice of college where they want to go for their education is where their favorite football team is, right? So I'm from Georgia and up up until maybe, I don't know, freshman year, sophomore year of high school, I wanted to go to University of Georgia because, well, to be honest, the reason was because I was a Bulldogs fan. I didn't really have any other reason besides that. And I think that's a pretty similar concept. Also, I like what you said about, you know, when you're a part owner of that thing and that company that shows up on the screen, you know, you feel good about it. I think that's that's a particularly acute sense when you're an early investor and especially if that's one of the only companies that you own is like is particularly with individual stocks. If you buy mutual funds, you're probably not going to get that sense as much, which um, can be good for the psychological side of things. Yeah. And, and we talk about, you know, not giving specific strategies or anything like that. But, you know, that's, I think, why a lot of people recommend diversification and just investing and not necessarily looking at your portfolio is because you can avoid a lot of these tendencies. The next one I think is particularly strong, and you don't really realize it until it was brought to my attention, and that's the doubt avoidance tendency. The brain of man is programmed with a tendency to quickly remove doubt by reaching some decision. And I think for the most part, this is a really good thing. Just think in life, like the amount of times you struggle really hard with a decision but then once you make that decision, you move forward. Right. And that's a super good thing. We talk about the decision for college. If every day after you made the decision where to go to college, you're thinking, oh, did I make the right thing? Would have I been happier somewhere else? Trying to compare the two, that's not a good thing. Yet at the same time with investing, I think people can take it too far. Yeah, let, let's say you have done hours and hours and hours of research into this one company that you really, really like. And then you said, okay, I, I really like what I see. I'm going to buy the company. I'm going to buy, you know, I'm going to put a million dollars into this or whatever. And then on your way to uh, your preferred trading website, you s- stumble across a number that is very concerning or a news article saying about telling you about some scandal that happened with the higher ups or something. You It might be very easy to put that aside uh, and just immediately go through with it. Yeah, which is crazy because if you would have found that same article during your research process before you would have make, made the decision, you would have easily said, okay, the stock I'm not investing in. Right. But because you already made up your mind on something. Exactly. And I think it's probably one of the most dangerous. I see it a lot with the crypto bros, uh, people who invest in cryptocurrency. And I feel like I've been pretty vocal about that I think a lot of crypto is not based on intrinsic value, but I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I think Charlie Munger would agree with you, right? Yeah, Charlie Munger does not like cryptocurrency whatsoever. But I know a lot of crypto people who are hesitant to get in. They don't love it. They go back and forth. Then they make a decision to invest in crypto. 
But once they put their money in crypto, they just think it's going to the moon. They're like, it's going to go to Bitcoin's going to a million dollars. There's no doubt in my mind. And that's because that's what they, in essence, want to believe. Right. And also, I think a part of that is coming from the fact that you see the potential for it and just how well the crypto stocks have truly done. I mean, I don't know what Bitcoin's at right now. I think it's at like 25, took a little dip. Not $25, 25,000. Yeah, it's at 26,700 right now. Uh, And it looks like it started around 2015 at around 450. Well, I mean, it was way less than that if you go back to 2009, 2010, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just seeing it hit these massive numbers, especially in the recent, in the past few years, it just pushes the horizon back farther. Even if you can't see the finish line, you think, oh, there's a possibility that this could be absolutely crazy, and I don't want to miss out on that. Yeah, and that takes me into another one, the influence from mere association tendency. And this is basically the idea that sometimes humans get lucky, but they associate that getting lucky with being actually really intelligent, or they fall into the the fallacy of association rather than causation or thinking that association means causation. An example of this is maybe you have an investment strategy that if the P.E. ratio or the price-to-book ratio of a company is a prime number, you invest in that company. (laughs) So you invest in two companies, and they both happen to go up. And then you think to yourself, you're like, wow, I found the strategy for investing. I just have to invest in ratios with prime numbers. Obviously, that's not how that's going to work, but you might get lucky a few times, and that's particularly dangerous Because you might make that decision in your head, the doubt avoidance decision in your head, in the course of a couple weeks, and it'll stay with you for years and years. Right. It's actually probably a bad thing if that idea continues to be reinforced. And, you know, we don't have to look at... What what was your example with? What they attribute to success Prime number ratios. Oh, prime numbers, yeah. So we can even take it to something legitimate. Like, oh, I invest in, you know, in companies that have really good, you know, P&E ratios, um, and really low debt. Like, let's just say those are the two parameters. You might find a ton of companies uh, that actually do turn out to be successful just by looking at those two things. But there's so much else out there that you can't really make a full judgment with those. But if you continue to have success with those two numbers, and you think that's the key to success, then that's probably going to be detrimental long term. I know we're going off course a little, but have you ever heard of survivorship bias? Uh, no. So it's the idea that when you look back, we only see the things that have survived and they've probably performed really oh, well. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at Bitcoin, you say, oh, all I would have needed to do was invest. If I would have just invested $500 into Bitcoin, I would have been super wealthy today, which obviously you would have if you would have invested in Bitcoin in 2009. But if you're that crazy to invest in Bitcoin in 2009, you're probably going to invest $500 in a bunch of other cryptocurrencies. And maybe you're going to invest $500 in really weird tech startups. And of all of those, a majority probably went bust. They went belly up. They lost a bunch of money. But we forget about those because they're not in the news. The ones that are in the news are the Teslas that have gained thousands of percents, the Bitcoins, the Ethereums. 
Yeah, that's a good point. That reminds me of something I read in Benjamin Graham's The Intelligent Investor. It was actually from commentary that someone wrote on it that was he was talking about like what what makes you think what makes you think that the market is just going to continue to go up and up and up like we always think it does because if we look at the late 1800s only just just a handful of companies survived from that era all of the rest of them are just gone you know what makes us think that all of these companies that we're buying today are still going to be around 50 100 years in the future yeah you even think about the huge companies of the past, Sears, it was less than a century ago, and Sears was the Amazon.com that it is today. Cool. I'm sure 100 years from now, there will be some different company. And that's not saying you shouldn't invest in big, innovative companies today because you can make money maybe before getting out. But I think it is important context to have that just because something's done well in the past, you really have to evaluate okay, what have I made that decision in the past? Or what was my thinking? And in all of these, it's important to go back and reevaluate your decisions you make quite quite often. Yeah, it's important to remember that every purchase you make in the stock market is a risky purchase. The levels of risk, you know, vary, but there's still a chance that Amazon goes belly up tomorrow. Pretty much all of these are interconnected. And that's what I've been noticing is we keep referencing them like some sort of circle almost well that's really philosophical but (laughs) one that kind of tags along with the last one we did was is the excessive self-regard tendency and i don't know if you've heard the study that like 89 percent of drivers in sweden think they're above average drivers 65 percent of americans think they're above average intelligence it's a common thread that we think that we're smarter than we actually are and investing You'll notice that over the past 20 years, I believe it's only 5% of hedge funds have beat the S&P 500 index. But that's another important thing to know. How would have you known to invest in the S&P 500 20 years ago? You probably would have invested in maybe the Dow, the NASDAQ, S&P 500, maybe the most likely. But that's another case of maybe a little bit of survivorship bias is that we picked the S&P 500 because it's been the best performing index over the past 20 years. Either way, only 5% of people, of active managers, have beat that passive index, which is wild. But if you go to any active investor, they're going to say, most people can't beat the S&P 500, but I can. Yeah, that's, that's something that's, I guess, kind of scary. Like, these are professionals doing their jobs of research day in and day out in the hedge funds and even they can't just beat the market average like that's that's a high standard um so that's something that's important to keep in mind um yeah also that's just a good point in general that you know we know only some of what we don't know you know i probably can't explain to you half the the terms in the investing world but there's a whole nother arena of ideas and theories that I just don't know about. But at the same time, I think that's almost a little encouraging too, that even though there's a lot that we don't know, by mastering these psychological tendencies of an investor, I think that's more important in a lot of ways than picking the right stock every single time. If you're able to approach investing with a more unbiased 
mind going in, you know, being willing to understand that, hey, I'm going to make a lot of dumb decisions. So you're cutting your losses when you're making dumb decisions and being able to uh, realize your gains when you're making smart moves and not thinking too highly of yourself. I'm not going to say you're going to be in the top 5% of investors. I think that's a little folly, but it, it goes back to the classic Aristotle or Socrates True wisdom is understanding the extent of your ignorance. And that's pretty much most of these 24 psychological misjudgments is that you think too highly of yourself. You don't put your ego aside. And if we can do that, I think we can be really successful no matter what strategy of investing that we do take. Well said. Well, Patrick, what's your impression of the standing setup? Is it going to continue forward in a couple weeks? Uh, My legs are tired, but I don't know. I feel good. Well, we are definitely an above-average radio show, so I think we need to hold, our, hold ourselves to a higher standard, and I think having right. the, the standing mics is a great way to do that. Yeah, yeah. What were they saying about uh, about keeping your ego in check and <laughs> understanding your abilities? The, the old saying, ego has no amigo. I have not heard that. No, never heard that one no. before. Okay. Well, that's about all the time we have. Is there anything else you want to say? Nope, don't think so. Okay. Thank you to our producer this week, Patrick Scott. And if you've missed any of our past episodes, you can find them at on Twitter, also known as X, at Wall Street Pod. Thank you for listening to Wall Street Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Mm-hmm.